If you've missed the last week of scintillating OU football developments, here's a quick rundown of what has happened. Junior defensive back Trey Norwood was confirmed loss for the season with an undisclosed knee injury from head coach Lincoln Riley. The team held an unofficial scrimmage for the first time on Saturday night with no legitimate news coming from the competition, and Sports Illustrated published a laughably bad top 10 programs of all time list with OU coming in at number 10 behind, oh, about eight or so programs that are irrefutably not on the same historical level as OU. That caused quite a bit of controversy on the old social media machines. And really, that was it as far as news goes. Seriously. We're two and a half weeks from kickoff, and we're still ensconced in hardcore college football offseason clickbait. It seems every year after spring practice, I tell myself, ah, we just need to make it to fall camp, and the news will start trickling in, And every single year, I'm pretty disappointed, or at least ever since Lincoln Riley has taken over, I've been pretty disappointed. Outside of some interesting comments from Alex Grinch about the safety position earlier this week, the only tangible development we've been privy to this offseason, or during fall practice thus far, is Trey Norwood's injury. None of this is especially surprising, I suppose. Lincoln Riley runs a tight ship, and he'll always be careful with information that gets out. So I'm not expecting a lengthy symposium from Riley every day on the intricacies of his depth chart. If I were running my own program, I'd try very hard to be tight-lipped on literally everything. No, this just serves as a reminder that we are still fully in the offseason. An offseason that mercifully will be over in a couple weeks. So until then, Trey Norwood's injury has reminded me that at this time of the year, When it comes to OU gearing up for the start of the season, the best kind of news is no news at all, even if it's inconvenient for a podcast host like myself. I'm Grant Benson. This is West of Everest. Nelson to Gattis, big hole. The intro today, courtesy of the late Mike Gaddis, who died Monday at the age of 50. Gaddis was an electric running back for Oklahoma from 1988 to 1991. Barry Switzer told Dean Blevins that Gaddis was the best running back he ever recruited out of the state of Oklahoma. Switzer also told Dean that if it wasn't for injuries, Gaddis would have won the Heisman. Condolences to his family and friends. Hey everybody, I am Lee Benson. This is West of Everest, as you all know. Grant is correct. Not a lot of news coming out of Sooners Fall Camp in the last week. We'll go over everything we know. Aside from Trey Norwood's injury, I gotta say, I suppose not a whole lot of negative news coming out, so I suppose that's a positive thing. A reminder that we are now on Spotify, so that's an option for listening, as well as iTunes and SoundCloud. Also, as the season grows near, Make sure to tell your friends and family about West of Everest. Once we get to game week, we go to two shows per week. Make sure that you're joining us for what's going to be the best part of the year here in a few weeks. So, Grant, we'll bring you back in. I was at Oklahoma Availability the past couple of days in Norman. I saw 20 minutes of practice on Monday night. Anything you want to know? I mean, really, at this point in time, I I keep coming back to Jalen Redmond because I want to know pretty much anything that, that goes on with him. I don't know what's going on. I, I don't. In fact, th- this was this was kind of part of my part of my opening take is, you know, really just the frustration of us not knowing a whole lot. And this is by design. Um, and so, and obviously, you, you're not going to really know a lot just by watching 20 minutes of practice. But I just don't. 
don't the Oklahoma coaches know that I am starved for anything? They should they should cater everything to me and people like me. All right, so I saw Jalen Rebin out there. It was so it was annoying because immediately when practice began, they ran all of that group out like away from the main field. We were on the main we were on Owen Field. And so the group that Redmond was with, they rushed him out away. And I think that was with the defensive line group. Yeah, with Calvin Thibodeau. And now I'm trying I'm thinking more of I I could have swore they were with Ruffin McNeil too, who does the outside linebackers. It's there's so many things going on. It's so confusing, but I, I don't know. Yeah, maybe they have him with the defensive line. The main thing, it doesn't really matter where he was. The matter, the point is, is that he was in shells on the field and not sitting off to the side. And that's different from a week before whenever he was not participating in the first you know, 15, 20 minutes that we saw. So I don't really care where he is. I just care that he's available because wherever they figure out where to put him, he's going to be a guy that can make an impact if he's able to play I think that's the most important thing yeah I'm starting to kind of starting to maybe pull back sort of my predictions I, I don't I don't know if he's going to be a factor super early on just with it, it just doesn't seem like he's been a full go lately but also at the same time I don't know it, it's possible that once people leave or once the media leaves practice he like puts his pads on and he's full go and they just don't want people to know I wouldn't put that past Lincoln Riley and that's that's a conspiracy that's not happening. But still, I'm frustrated. Tell me things, please. Well, Lincoln Riley, I mean, we got confirmed to today on Tuesday that he is out there and he's he's going through everything. I mean, so it's it's sure like that first time we saw him out there, he wasn't it didn't look like he was full go. But as far as we could tell, as of Monday this week, he was going through the same things that everybody else was. So I wouldn't anticipate it changing when we leave. I, I would say I'd guess that he's going out there and they're not hitting at all they weren't in full pads that we saw so i guess that'll be the next thing is you know how's he taking contact and we don't know that yet we don't know how he's taking contact or if he has been able to take contact or if they're really even doing any of that yet uh so that's a big takeaway i think from tuesday is just that our eyes were not deceiving us he was out there i don't what but still i i don't know what position he plays and who cares well, I, I do. He's a really good because it matters. Really because player. I I do. It matters. We thought he was a rush linebacker, and his name has not come up once when any of the coaches have talked about a rush linebacker. So I'm, I'm just confused as to what is happening. Is all. I mean, I don't really care because in the spring game, Neville Gallimore was a nose guard, and he's probably more defensive tackle. I think it just kind of depends on where they are in the. The system it isn't you're not married to one certain thing well I, I think there's a pretty big there's a no th I mean there's a big difference between if you're the rush linebacker and Ronnie Perkins who is a defensive end and a defensive lineman like I mean there there's a there's a pretty big difference between those two and we were you know we thought Jalen Redmond was a rush linebacker and I now I don't know so which I mean it's these are it, it's all trivial anyway I mean we're, we're gonna know in two and a half weeks but it's just I don't know. I, I guess a lot of my frustration has come from I, I have that I have an athletic subscription and they have a lot of beat writers for other teams. And I've, I've been reading a lot of like in-depth practice reports from other journalists covering other schools. And it's just a lot better. And it's not Jason Kersey's fault, who is OU's beat writer. It's because these other guys have access to the programs. Um, and yeah, I yeah, I, I don't I guess to make it 
more clear. I don't really care what position he's going to be. I, I think he's going to be a rush linebacker. That's why I assume that his body type is for. I mean, if John Michael Terry is the guy that they're talking about, how he's kind of leading the pack right now. I mean, he's a little bit smaller than Jalen Redmond, and by a little bit, I mean he's like an inch shorter and like twenty to thirty pounds less. But Jalen Redmond apparently can run. So even though Jalen Redmond's about two seventy, he is supposed to be able to be pretty darn fast. So I don't see it. if he is as fast and he can acclimate and he can play like a linebacker move it definitely helps you to also be big like that to be up on the line of scrimmage and take on defensive linemen which I guess now that I think more about it we did think that Caleb Kelly was a good a good player for the rush linebacker spot as well and he was never being considered for that when he was healthy yeah and which was I'm asking just because I think in general Jalen Redman is probably someone you would look at and say is his his size reflects more of a defensive lineman for instance um, we think, or at least I think, that Leron Stokes is probably going to be a defensive tackle in this in this scheme from Grinch. And I think Redmond is bigger than Leron Stokes. So, uh, I mean, no, they're about the same. I mean, Stokes is uh, an inch taller and about ten pounds heavier. Well, okay. Well, I'll I'll, I'll say it like this: I no, they're about the same weight. That's they're probably about the same weight. When I was when I was prepping for the podcast today, I wrote out just kind of like what I think, you know, halfway through fall camp, what I think the depth chart probably looks at right now. Because I think we do have a pretty clear a clear picture of a lot of what, especially the offense and what large parts of the defense look like. I didn't put Jalen Redmond on there because I didn't know where to put him. Okay, well, I put him on mine starting at rush linebacker. Okay, well, so and then I'm, and I'm telling you, I mean, he has not been mentioned once with the rush linebackers by any of the coaches during fall camp. Yeah, that's okay. Not really worried about it. He's been he's got an asterisk next to him this entire time. I mean, they just want him to be able to to be out there. Well, and and I'm saying if if they just want him to be out there, that means they're probably they probably have a pretty different timeline for him. Yeah, than, than any of us do in our minds. That's why I said like I don't. I think it's I I think. Like I can't say this definitively, but I think there certainly is evidence out there to suggest that they are ramping him up very slowly, and he's not going to be full go until like halfway through the season. Like I think there's 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 started to become evidence building to that conclusion. Is all I'm saying. No, I I wouldn't go that far. I maybe if he still wasn't doing anything this week, but the fact that he's out there and he was doing the same exact stuff that we could tell of everybody else, I I wouldn't be that concerned. I. Yeah, maybe the timetable is like, oh, you know, hopefully he's good 100% by week one. But I would, I don't, I would not guess that they're thinking, oh, midway through the season. I mean, this is, they're either you're good or you're not. I mean, with this, with, uh, with his history. I mean, either you can take contact or you can't, you know, and but that's kind of what we got. He, he still also only played like, you know, 25, 30 snaps in his career. And mm-hmm. before then was not, didn't he pick up football in okay, high school? Sh- so. Yeah, so, I mean, if you're going to base it off of, yeah, sure, experience, things like that, that's fair. But, I mean, a lot of these players that are either ahead of him or competing with him also don't have very much experience as well, and he might have more experience than they do just because it's a very young team. And, obviously, everyone is the same in this new system. So, I I am I'm certainly encouraged by I'm just the, saying there's, there's much the more Taylor evidence out there to suggest right now that he's not going to be a go for the first week than there is otherwise. You mean like not play at all? Yeah. Oh, I mean, I don't, I don't see that at all. Like no one's even I talking mean, about him. They, they, the coaches only talk about him when, when people ask about him. Yeah. Like, uh, I don't know. I've been, I've, 
I, I I've been following this fall camp stuff for for too long of my life, and I just I kind of know when when signs are pointing towards a guy either playing or not playing. And right now, the signs are pointing to him not playing. So that's and I and I think that's odd. I think that's weird. So that's why I'm bringing it up as a as a as an issue. That's all. All right. Well, we're on different sides of this. I have held for long a long period of time that if he is cleared and able to go, I mean, he's going to find a, he's one of the best 11 and they'll find a spot for him. So I, I think this is so far so good. I haven't really read a whole lot into them. Not saying a lot. We haven't really talked a whole lot. I mean, to the defensive players. In fact, if he just now got out there putting the shells on, that was Monday night. Let's say that was the first time it happened. They probably haven't even seen him go through much. So maybe next week, because we're not going to, going to talk to anybody until next monday tuesday there's been a bit of a break here you know maybe at that time we'll learn a lot more because you know as far as we know maybe he hasn't even been going through a whole lot in practice anyways which to me it's fair to be quite the question it because on media day lincoln riley said that he'd have no limitations and he had a good summer so that would imply that from day one he should have been out there doing everything with, with everybody else and from what we saw the first day of practice we could go out there which was uh monday the fifth, he was not doing the same things, at least in the small time we were there with the rest of the team. But again, that's, yeah, it's, what is it? Okay, so it's the Jalen Rebin stuff. That's what we want to kind of focus on all throughout camp. And then the other thing is that I want to focus on that we talked about a couple weeks ago is the development of the secondary. And that's where another, a lot of the other news has come from recently, obviously with Trey Norwood being officially ruled out. That came last Friday, and it sounds like he was the starting nickel. It sounds like that's where he was going to be, and now that he is done or he is not going to play, it seems like it's shifted now into Brendan Radley-Hiles as that guy, and talking to Trey Brown on Monday, he said that he thinks Brendan Radley-Hiles is going to be a breakout player and have a fantastic year for Oklahoma. So it's high praise from Trey Brown. We hope he's right about that, and so – Let's shift now into the secondary because I think the secondary, the picture there is it. it was muddled, but after listening to Alex Grinch talk Monday, I think it's pretty clear right now in my eyes who the starting five would be if there was a game tomorrow. I mean, Alex Grinch has already told us two of them, and it's the same two that we had in the spring, which is Delarian Turner yell at strong safety. At least that's where he played in the spring and Patrick Fields at free safety. You throw in Brendan Radley Hiles, who I believe is next man up at nickel. That's three spots, and then I think it's pretty clear at this point, watching the cornerbacks on Monday night, all of the drills there. Sure, it's it's just groupings. It's you know, it's not necessarily official, but the first two guys up when they were going through ball drills was Parnell Motley and Trey Brown. So I think the starting secondary looks like it's it's about as clear as it can be a, a ten or eleven days into camp. Is that the way you're seeing it too? Yeah, I think the defense is actually starting to look pretty clear, honestly. And you're right, it was it was the Norwood stuff that sort of cleared it up. But, I mean, yeah, I, I can almost, just, just kind of taking it as names that, that other players have mentioned and other, you know, coaches have, have mentioned as well. I mean, I'm, I'm pretty comfortable. I think, there's a, I think there's, a, there's a two deep pretty much already set in the secondary. Um, or at least from where I am now. I'm sure things can change, but... Um, yeah, like you said, Trey Brown and and uh, Parnell Motley at the corners, and it looks like Jordan Parker um, is going to be the third corner now this year. Um, he was moved back there. Of course, that dropped last week. I think that news dropped. So 
that'll be interesting. He's back at corner for the first time since his freshman year, it sounds like. Um, yeah, and Lincoln Riley said today that he's had a fantastic camp, and he's one of the guys that's just looked really nice out there. And so that's great to hear, considering you know he played sparingly last year, but he was coming off he was coming off that 2017 injury, and now he's back full strength, good to go. And and if you're going to read anything into the cornerback groups, because I spent a lot of the time Monday night watching the corners, Jordan Parker was in that second group after Motley and Trey Brown went. And the other corner that was paired with Miguel Edwards was yeah was Miguel Edwards. He yep. was the other one out there who we saw show pretty well in the spring game the past two years. And, and he's one of those the, undersized players, but seems like he's got a lot of confidence for a guy who's never, never <laughs> seen any action in any actual game. Was the third group Jaden Davis and Woody Washington? So here's the thing about that: the third group I have wrote down. There was no sign of Woody Washington Monday night. I did not see him out there. Interesting. Okay. He was out there, though, on the first day of practice that we went out there on the fifth. I noticed that he and Jaden Davis were together in their group. So the third group without Washington out there was Jaden Davis and uh, Robert Charlton. I think it's Robert, who was who's like a, who's a walk-on who went to Edmond Memorial, I believe. And then uh, the fourth group was uh, Ryan Peoples and Starlin Baldwin. But for some reason... Didn't see Woody Washington out there with the cornerbacks on Monday. I didn't see him on the side or anything like that. If he was there, I just missed him. Uh, it was tough to see the safeties group because they put him all the way across the field. So I guess there's a chance that he could have been with the safeties for some reason. I don't know. Okay. But I'm just speculating. He could have been hurt, too. I'm, yeah, and he could maybe just wasn't out there. So I don't know. Uh, for, for whatever reason, Woody Washington was not there. I did not see him in that first okay. 20 minutes. Because I think, because yeah. yeah, and I think too, if you want to, if you want to move over to safeties too, I think the top four safeties right now are are DTY Fields, the two starters, like we already mentioned, and then behind them is is Barnes and Justin Broyles. I think those are your four safeties right now, um, and I'm sure J- maybe Jamal Adams is kind of creeping back there too, or Jamal Morris. Sorry, Jamal Adams, of course, is a professional safety for the New York Jets. Yeah, I don't have a whole, f- I don't have a feel really on the safety positions behind. Patrick Fields and Delarian Turner yell just because I haven't really heard a lot. I guess we could just kind of go by the spring game and kind of who played at that time, but I don't honestly don't have as much of a feel. I have more of a feel on the cornerback positions than I do the safety spot because talking to Alex Grinch on Monday, he he wants some more competition at the safety spot. He let me find the quote here. He says he wishes there was more competition at the safety spot. He said that Fields and DTY have established themselves. I that's my words, DTY. That's not what Grinch called them. And Grinch mentioned that they need some guys from the, those second and third groups to to push the top group, and still everybody's in competition. So the fact that he only mentioned those two players and he mentioned them in the spring as well and, and nobody else, that might mean something. That might mean nothing. Uh, it sounds like he's a little frustrated, though, that the – the number ones aren't being pushed a whole lot from by the number twos, which it's kind of alarming if players like Broyles and Barnes are kind of behind them like that, you know, and then you throw a chance Sylvie in there who uh, you mentioned he's been working at nickel. I think he's been at I nickel. I haven't seen that. Yeah. Uh, and, and Grinch didn't mention that at all, but you know, that it's the way these media availability availabilities work, by the way, in case you're wondering is that they just bring out, players 
at the same time, really, and you can kind of bounce back and forth to uh, to each player. And sometimes you don't get to talk to everybody, or you miss certain information. So some some news outlets and reporters have other information, others don't. And that's just the way it is. That's that's fine. But uh, you know, sometimes I don't get a chance to talk to a guy like Delarian Turner Yell, or maybe I don't get a chance to talk to Patrick Field. So there's a couple nuggets of information that you know maybe I don't hear that somebody else did, and vice versa. So. Uh, I have not really heard much from or about from the coaching staff, Robert Barnes or, or uh, you know, Chance Sylvie. I've heard he's had a, a good camp. But at this point, honestly, it, everybody seems like they're kind of having a nice camp and everyone's positive because that's what you expect. Everyone's always had a nice camp. That's, right. it's, it's always how it works. Like there's not if, – if things were really bad, they wouldn't come out and say it. Um, Geez, I don't know. Maybe Grinchwood. The I don't. I, yeah. I, I, I don't want to get. I don't want to sure. get too far into the weeds with with what he says about the safeties, because I think you could go so many different directions and what he and what he means by that. Or if he's just telling the truth, he's just disappointed with the competition behind him. Like, do we take that as Fields and DTY are so far ahead of everyone else just because they're really good and no one's close? Or do you take that more as? I suppose these are the two guys I'm most comfortable with, and they're the starters right now. But I really wish someone would come up and take their jobs, type of deal. Sure, that's fair. And he has been very open about a lot of things. But yeah, I I wouldn't be surprised if it if there's a little bit of of both of those things because uh, he has a certain standard that he wants, and it's tough too because we haven't seen it. I mean, he's got to see this actual act, you know, r- real game time situation. All he can go by is practice, and you know the one. The one constant is that it's fast, and the speed D thing seems to be a real, a real thing because everybody's talking about how everyone's flying around, making plays, stripping out the ball, blah blah blah, things like that. Uh, let's move down to the linebackers, and uh, it's it's Kenneth Murray and Deshaun White, and I remember you had some uh, some trepidation recently about all the punching at the ball and stripping the ball and getting it out, and you said in the podcast like. What about tackling? Are they talking about tackling? And uh, just to ease your mind, their standard is, this is according to Levi Draper, and then Delarian Turner Yell also said something about this on Monday. The first guy who gets there, that person secures the tackle, and then you go for the ball. So just to, just in case you're worried that they're not really worried about tackling, which of course they are, but. The first guy there is supposed to secure the tackle. So sleep easy, Grant. Don't worry. They're going to still tackle people or at least try to at Oklahoma. Yeah. I don't know. I'm just saying, like, I'll I, I'll come back to it. A lot of stats suggest that fumbles and fumble recoveries and fumble forced fumbles are, are just total luck and maybe shouldn't be practiced at all. But I don't know. Well, I, I guess we'll see if... Um, is that if, from the Grant Benson Institute of Stats and Info? You know it. Because I actually have more on this, and this is one of the more kind of nuanced, interesting things from Grinch's press conference on Monday, is that they're counting the number of strip attempts in practice. Like, Grinch had a number. He said, oh, yeah, we're, at, we're almost to about 400 total true strip attempts at this point in practice. Fed about 40 per day. And by the time that Oklahoma plays a game, he said that they should be at about a thousand true strip attempts, and it's not just. And he says true because it's like this isn't just some you know half speed thing. I mean, this is where they're counting them in team drills and any time that they're 
competitively going after the offense. And I just find it fascinating that they're legitimately watching back the tape and they're counting. And DeLarian Turner, oh, I'm sorry, Patrick Fields even said something along the lines of like, yeah, you'd hear something like, oh, we got to get 40 strips a day. And maybe somebody who wasn't really used to it or hadn't heard that before would kind of be like, what? Like, that's weird. Or a certain number of pass breakups per day. But then you get out there and you see how everybody reacts and flies around. And when you kind of get drilled into your head so much, he says, yeah, okay, that makes sense. Like, we can do that. We can probably even do more. Sure. I might have yeah. just I might have just added that last part. I don't think yeah. he said that. But sounds I'd great. Like to do it all, all sounds great in theory. We'll see if we'll see how it translates onto the field. And I'm because, you know, I, I think I think we're all a little a lot a little guilty of we we hear all this stuff about how everyone's flying to the ball and how there's so much energy and how the culture has gotten so much better. I'm sure people are getting pretty excited. Maybe they're going to put out a pretty decent defense. Um, but I don't know. I, I, I think I'm, I'm starting to kind of go the opposite direction. I'm starting to start starting to kind of expect the worst. Not like I like we, we talked about this last week. I don't think it's going to be really hard for them to be worse than they were last season, like really, really hard. So I'm not expecting that, but I, well, I, here's the way. Let's talk about this for a second then, because, and you're just, you're pessimistic man today. I am the other way around. I, I mean, I don't think any reasonable person is sitting here hearing all this stuff thinking, man, it's going to be pretty good defense. I, maybe Oklahoma can finally be one of these defenses that we've seen in the big 12 from the West Virginia's, uh, sometimes Texas Tech, Oklahoma State, good example where, like, it's not that great of a defense at all. It's fine sometimes, but at least it can make plays and turn people over and make it uncomfortable every once in a while for the opposing team. Whereas Oklahoma, yeah, they would play okay at times, but they never really seemingly in the last couple of years made things uncomfortable for the opposing team, with the exception of the 2017 at Ohio State and maybe one or two other games, and they sure have not been turning the ball over or forcing turnovers or, or making that uh, something that the opposing offense has to worry about going in against Oklahoma. Man, we got to really protect the football because these guys get after it, and they're really going to be ball hawks out there. Or they're going to be punching the ball out. So I think that's, that's the expectation. That's my expectation, really, is that it's not going to be that great of a defense, but at least it'll be a little bit more exciting, and it'll be more of a chance to get more turnovers and, and kind of shift the game here and there that we didn't see prior. I think almost if anything, it's just the, the simple numbers have to, and the trends will need to like work out to where they're just going to have a lot more takeaways this year, just because statistically it's just as <laughs> what they had 11 takeaways last year. That is so pitiful. Yeah. They had like 11 takeaways in 14 games. That's gotta be a, like a statistical anomaly. And I know that was worst wasn't. years and takeaways in the history of Oklahoma football. I, I remember going back and trying to find a worse year, and I, I don't think I found one. Because I'm not think, sure how, how many years it went back, but it, you it was would a think lot just by just by accident with the amount of pass attempts that they faced, that they would have more just by virtue of that. And so, mm-hmm. I don't know. It's it, it's possible that we're in for a for a very large statistical correction in in the takeaway department this year because they didn't have a lot in 2017 either. So it was something like 17, I think, 17 or 18 in 2017. So, uh, I mean, they averaged you know, a little more than one per game. Average. I mean, that's that's I would, I'd just say that's probably middle of the pack in the country, I would guess. Yeah, middle of the pack, probably a little bit below average. Uh, so, yeah, I, and speaking of that, you know, we've I was curious about this because we kept hearing about 
the ball getting stripped out and punched out and they're counting the strips. I asked Alex Grinch, what about interceptions? Because you brought this up last week or two weeks ago on the podcast, right? Like, you want to get more interceptions, Grant, because I think your point was there's so many pass attempts, like, get the ball. And so he went into this detailed explanation about how it's, number one, eye control. You got your eyes on the quarterback when you're playing zone coverage. You got to make sure that you don't get distracted by the flash of an opposing jersey. That doesn't dictate where you go. If you're in man, the quarterback doesn't mean anything. You have a man. You keep your eyes on the man. He says that, too, if you get into uh, – if you're panicked and you've put yourself out of position, you're in a trail technique – uh, you know, the last thing at that point when we worried about is the football. You got to catch up to the guy. You got to recover. Uh, and then the main thing, though, about it that I found the most interesting is that you have to anticipate the ball coming to you. And that might just kind of sound like, well, yeah, sure. Uh, but I've always had this theory that defensive backs and linebackers or anybody in, this, in the defense, when they drop interceptions and people make fun of them and they're like, oh, pfft. That's why that guy plays defense. He's got stone hands, blah, blah, blah. I think a big part of it a lot of the time is that the ball was not designed to go to you. And whenever the ball is not really supposed to go to you, it's a little more difficult to catch because it, it's just a mental thing. And I just remember thinking back to this is not even close to the same level, but in high school and stuff, like it, sometimes like I, I think I you know, drop one or two and I don't know, I just it kind of came over me a little bit. And, and so the mentality of every single play thinking that the ball is going to come to you that's the difference in you know maybe one interception a game or a couple here and there per year uh, because the receiver knows the ball is coming to them so they can anticipate it and they can kind of brace for it mentally whereas as a defensive back you don't know it's coming to you you have to kind of just react but Grinch is saying hey don't just react just think hey the ball snapped this is my ball this time every single play is designed to get the ball back to the offense and uh so I thought that was uh, one of the more interesting parts. So interceptions, very detailed explanation, and I kind of liked what he had to say. Did you get the chance to either read the transcript? I read the transcript of all that, yeah. And it seems like it almost seems like Alex Grinch has been reading message boards the last couple of years, <laughs> with, with, like with all the, or at least at the very least, he's certainly been watching tape of the last two years. Um, Even though he tried to say like he hasn't watched a whole lot back, it just exactly. fresh start, you know. Yeah, I mean, he it's had to have almost a dead giveaway when he was talking about the eyes and and finding the ball and whatnot, which of course has just been a massive problem uh, for the secondary. When he talked about um, when he talked about being in zone coverage and how your eyes need to be disciplined and how you can't be distracted by the flash of someone else's jersey, I feel like that's this is always what Parnell Motley has struggled with in zone coverage. He always kind of like, uh, at least when there's a bus, it always seems like he buffers for just a split second, and that's that's you know that's how he gives up the big play. You know what I'm talking about there? I, I guess I, I'm mostly thinking uh, about the Iowa State game where he had a lot of issues in zone coverage. Um, yeah, I can't really gather anything off the top of my head that specific. I the, all everybody in the secondary is just. They've had struggles. Everyone in the secondary has so been really, I, I, I it's been really bad really, playing the ball. Yeah, yeah I mean, I, that's stuff for me that's to, to point out one or two guys. I mean, the, the simple thing for me to, with Parnell Motley is just he seems – he's just very inconsistent. He's He can have really good games and really good plays and kind of be all over the place. I mean, he needs to be more consistent. Um, so, yeah, that's – this is kind of a – kind of going through my notes here, trying to get to the, the next thing. I mean – that's secondary talk. 
the Larry Turner yell the other day, he mentioned that you can tell from his perspective that the offensive players, they have been pretty uncomfortable when they're out there because everybody's kind of flying around from different angles, which apparently that's different. Speed, speed, speed. Uh, I heard that from him. Uh, let's see, Patrick Fields. And also Grinch mentioned that uh, when it comes to turnovers too, I thought this was kind of an interesting – this has got, got to be something that Grinch has said to the team because I feel like a player wouldn't bring this up, but he said that it's telling whenever on offense a receiver catches the ball and immediately they turn into a fullback near the goal line, like covering the ball up with both hands because they're so afraid to get it popped out. <laughs> so I guess they're seeing that from the receivers and the pass catchers that when they catch the ball, like they're just covering up immediately because the defense is getting in there and trying to strip it so many times, which I found that to be kind of a, a nice visual to, to think, man, they, they really are trying to get the ball out there and rip it out. So that was a positive thing to hear. Let's see. I've been I so I've been thinking about this quite a bit the last few days and and it's been it's been like in that context, you know, like the offense going up against OU's defense and practice and whatnot. And so statistically Lee, OU has had two of the best offenses in college football the the last couple seasons ever in the history in the history of the sport. Going up against essentially a, a wet paper towel as a defense every day in practice. And yet they were still able to put up the numbers and were able to be as effective as they were. I don't know. I, I'm, I'm, try, I'm trying to formulate a take here on the spot. Can they, can they extract any more out of that offense by going up against a defense like this that is aggressive, that makes them uncomfortable? Because actually, I mean... What fall camp is about and what all of these practices in succession are about and really what practice is about, or at least the best practices, are about putting your players in the most uncomfortable positions possible so that when it happens in a game, they're ready for it. Or when it happens in a game, the position is not as uncomfortable and it's something that they can react to and something that they're prepared for. I don't know. Does this... Basically, I'm trying to come up with an iron sharpens iron take here but I'm having a hard time doing it because that that notion and that theory was basically proved incorrect the last two years because OU's offense was amazing going up against a terrible defense. So does it matter is basically what I'm what I'm asking. Yeah, look where your head's at. And I'm trying to spin the wheels up there too. With the thought process of And also it also makes me think, you know, how about we go to these offensive I mean, Lincoln Riley is a great offensive mind. Like Shouldn't shouldn't his defense on the team that he is the head coach of always be doing exactly what he doesn't want opposing defenses doing to him? Shouldn't that always be sort of the uh, the guiding light of his of his defensive philosophy? Yeah, or, it or makes a I, lot of sense. Or am I being way too simplistic here? This is I, I've been thinking about this a lot, and like it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Is all like I don't how could. Basically what I'm saying is I feel like offensive coaches should know exactly what they don't want to face on the de- on the defensive side and that's how they should that's how they should form their defense that's what their philosophy should be so how do how do these offensive coaches have such a terrible reputation for being soft on defense and this has been basically forever in pro college football ever since you know ever since the passing offense was a was a was a huge thing essentially 
Well, a guy like Lincoln Riley obviously can't be fully integrated coaching the offense and also the defense. So he's got to get coaches around him to delegate duties to that even though he can tell them kind of things that he'd like doesn't necessarily mean it's going to translate. And I think that's a big reason why you have this scenario here where you have an Alex Grinch who has that experience with Mike Leach, has that air raid experience, uh, and has this experience with coming into the SEC with undersized Missouri players and with a bunch of guys that you wouldn't think would be able to compete at that high of a level in the SEC and created a pretty good defense at Missouri that would go to the SEC title game quite a bit. And so you marry that now to Lincoln Riley, who runs his air raid type system with, even though it's, it's, it's an air raid with lots of running principles and multiple principles. And so maybe Riley is thinking about that because he, he knows that Grinch has experience with it. And maybe when they discuss things and talk more, it's just more, there's more of a uh, it's more fluid perhaps than it was maybe going and talking with Mike Stoops and then even with Ruffin McNeil who you know he's not necessarily a guy that I mean I guess he he did have a defense he did coach Texas Tech so he does have that that background uh, but the game has changed a decent you know quite a bit even in this the short amount of time between he, his defensive coordinator job at Tech and then now there's a lot so, of variables that go into it I, I wasn't trying to to write like an entire thesis. I was just, I don't know. It, w- it was more of just a, an abstract thought that I was needed to have an on-air production meeting about, but well, I think the point you were trying to get to, you know, you mentioned the iron sharpens iron and the thought process of the past few years, is like man, Oklahoma's offense is so good that the Oklahoma defense is seeing this all the time in practice. Therefore it should start to get a little bit better based off of the, the way the offense are facing in practice. So now you flip that, this year, let's say Oklahoma's defense, it's different, at least schematically it's different now. And if it is forcing Oklahoma's offensive players to be a little more uncomfortable and cover the ball up more and really focused in on not allowing the ball to be taken away, if the defense is actually slightly slightly improved, will that somehow unlock even more in Lincoln Riley's offense? I think it's kind of what you were trying to get yeah, at, Yeah, that's, too, that's essentially what I'm trying to say, yes. And it's just tough, though, with the control groups changing at the quarterback position because we're going to go from Baker Mayfield to Kyler Murray to Jalen Hurts. We're going to get different quarterbacks in three straight years. So it's it's going to be difficult, I think, to to measure how the measure if that works at all. And it's we don't even know yet if the defense is, you know, that much better or a little bit better anyways to even push the offense more. But all signs out of camp. Today, talking to Jay Boulware, he said they, he loves it. He loves that the defense is getting after the ball, trying to get it out all the time because it makes them better. The players all said that last week when we talked to them. So, according to them, it, it would seem like everybody is getting better, which you'd expect this time of the year and at this point in camp. So, let's see. Uh, this, is, this is a tough show because basically what you said in the take, I mean, it's – I thought what you said about the the athletic is kind of interesting because you're exactly right. It's not it's not Jason's fault. I mean, Jason is a really good reporter and and he has always puts out content. And so it sounds like you know the access though is more limited to like. Are you checking in with 
other Big 12 schools or are you checking in with like the Michigans and Ohio States of the world and you're just seeing a lot more no, the only, of information or the what? The only other Big 12 school that has a that has a beat is Texas. And Texas's guy is is awesome. I mean, he's they've had very detailed reports on a daily basis from from Texas camp. Um I know I'm talking about others. Like I know there's there's been some good ones from Alabama. There's been some good ones uh, from like Ohio State and the like. Um, of course, Bama they've had some bad news lately with injuries and whatnot. So it hasn't necessarily been all, you know, sunshine and roses for them. But I don't know. I I, I just wish there was we I just wish there was some more information coming out that we could, you know, sink our sink our hooks into and talk about a little bit because everything else at this point is just speculation, and I hate speculation. And, um, and I understand that's what we do a lot here. And, um, I'm just getting a little, getting a little fresh. It's been a long off season, long off season. It's, it's time for some football. And I just, I, I would, I'd really appreciate it if, if my, if my thirst would be satiated is all. So a couple things on the defensive line from Alex Grinch's availability on, on Monday. And I think just a couple nuggets that will further make us feel confident that this is not the same kind of upfront scheme that we saw when under Mike Stoops and Ruffin McNeil, where you see players like Neville Gallimore trying to take on two blockers at a time and catching blocks and trying to shed and make plays. Grinch mentioned that instead of playing your man, he wants you to play your gaps. I mean, it's a gap-based defense, and he wants his defensive linemen to expect contact, but also you got to be expecting to be up in the backfield. So, I thought an interesting quote he had, and by the way, if you've listened this long, I apologize for not any sound. I didn't have time the past couple of days going back and forth from Norman. Didn't really have time to cut any sound, and to be honest with you, there wasn't that much interesting sound anyways. I don't know if it would add it too much, but Grinch said that it takes just a couple of plays for one of his defensive linemen, a guy, to realize that, hey, man, like shooting these gaps and, and – just being really mindful of, of playing the right gap and getting into the backfield, that's a heck of a lot better than running into an offensive guard back and forth all day long, <laughs> which, I mean, it's a small little thing that you think is obvious, but if that's a, a mindset they're trying to drill in, and I kind of watched a little couple of Washington State plays earlier today, again, of the defensive line stimming and, and shifting up front and making the offense uncomfortable before they snap. That led to false starts and just easy trips into the backfield. That gets me gets me going a little bit more to watch again this defensive line to see what it looks like compared to what it's looked like the past few years. Yeah, I'm really excited not to not to ever have to watch that the the block catching defensive line ever again, or at least not anytime soon. Um, I, I've I've just especially the last handful of years. I, I don't know if I've ever seen an Oklahoma defensive line less effective and less impactful. They just don't do much. And um, there's been points made in the past that, you know, hey, if these guys were dudes, they'd be making plays anyway. And that's that's probably true. Um, for instance, Alabama plays plays that two gap scheme. And, geez, I mean, how many how many defensive linemen have they had taken in the first round of the NFL draft the last decade? A ton. Um, yeah. So we'll we'll see what happens. I, I, I'm excited to see an active defensive front because it, it has not that has not been the case at Oklahoma since since the early part of the decade since Venables was still here. So before we move on to the offense and talk a little bit about the offensive line, because as we know, there's a lot of open spots there. I have a take on defense uh, I want to get to, and it's about the secondary. Talking to Brendan Radley Hiles on Monday, he is a player that 
he's always been good when he's talked to the media. He seemingly understands where he has shortcomings and he kind of knows what to improve. He said that he is trying to get better with his eye discipline, his footwork, and understanding offensive concepts this year because he's a player that he knows that it's his turn to step up, especially with Trey Norwood down. He is the projected starter, I believe, at nickel right now. Uh, but I will say, though, here's my take. He was asked about Jeremiah Cradell, who, Grant, you have mentioned that you're excited about Jeremiah Cradell coming from Matter Day in California, a player that we saw when he announced his commitment to Oklahoma. We saw Lincoln Riley and some of the assistant coaches going nuts. On uh, I think they put it out on social media on uh, signing day when that happened. I thought that was pretty interesting. So a guy that they really like, uh, Bradley Howes was asked about Cradell, and he says that Cradell, he says that Cradell is one of our hitters in the back end, like big hitters, and that Cradell is just not scared of anything. You can tell by just the way he plays, and it sounds like he's he's seen some of his high school tape too. So I'm kind of thinking that based on what we saw from Bradley Howes last year, he struggled. Sure, I hope he's a lot better this year, but it's kind of shaping up to maybe that nickel spot. That could be an open spot, the spot for Jeremiah Cradell to slide in right away and maybe maybe not immediately, but kind of usurp Radley Hiles and, and take that spot, and then you got Jeremiah Cradell as a nickel. So I think that's something to kind of look, to watch out for as the rest of fall camp goes on. That's cert- that's I mean, that's always been a possibility essentially ever since he signed. I mean, that was going to be a possibility, really, with any of these true freshmen coming in. They're going to have an opportunity to play. Um, it may not be super early on, but it's something that could certainly occur over the course of the year. And so, yeah, I, I am excited for Jeremiah Cradell. Um, he's going to be he's going to be a really good player for OU. And they're certainly giving Radley Hiles the shot, and he is determined to play better and be better. And that nickel position, man, I... He's certainly saying all the right things, isn't he? Yes, yes, he is. It's just, I have a tough time imagining this guy coming down and playing in the box when he needs to. I have I have no concerns, really, over his coverage skills. I, I hope that he's improved those, he's been working on those. It's just coming up, playing as a third linebacker when he needs to in this defense. I'm skeptical, because this tackling was shoddy a lot last year. Yeah, it was. it was not good. It was bad mostly he went high he would go high too much and he just he didn't have the the ability to bring a lot of guys down going up high like that he needed to kind of go lower so I'm curious to see how he's improved his game in that area talking to Bill Biedenboe unfortunately I missed that last Friday but I did see some of the news nine obviously we were there for news nine so I was able to watch back and listen to Bill Biedenboe talk he had some good information about the offensive line and I kind of have an idea now Grant of who the starters are on the offensive line. And is this something that you've given a little bit of thought to in the last few days as well? Do you yes. have a I think there's it looks like and this is this is parsing pretty much what, what Biedenboe has said based off of the transcript of him talking to the media and whatnot. Um, it sounds like there are four spots on the offensive line that are pretty much set in stone right now, and maybe the only ongoing battle is at right guard, it seems like. The guard positions has been kind of I'm not as clear on the guard positions. When it comes to the tackle spots and center, obviously, I'm, I'm pretty confident. But the fact that I haven't heard a whole lot of change from the spring, I, I yeah, I mean, I suppose if, if the, the battle 
at the one of the guard spots has to do with R.J. Proctor. Yeah, it's between assume. it's it's between Tyrese Robinson and R.J. Proctor at right guard. The thing though, with interesting with Proctor is is that they have him working at both guard spots, and Beatonville also inferred that he's working at center as well, which is they, which is kind of what we thought they he'd be kind of the backup center because there's not a whole lot of depth there at all, and a tackle it doesn't seem like that's going to happen. Uh, Beatonville doesn't want to work him at three different positions right now, which would be every single offensive line position. Uh, but what Proctor has going for him, it sounds like, is that he's an incredibly smart dude. And I've heard Bill Biedenboe say that. I think Shane Beamer said that as well. I've heard some of the players say that. So it sounds like he's picking things up pretty quickly. And certainly his experience helps him as well. Yeah, I think we can, I think we can pretty safely say at this point that I, I think the, the top eight offensive linemen is pretty clear at this stage or at least the eight guys that we're going to see the most of this year, and that's Swenson, Hayes, Creed, obviously, Tyrese Robinson, Adrian Ely, and then the three the three wild card guys um, are the junior college transfer, Finley Felix, uh, the aforementioned R.J. Proctor, who is going to be kind of the, the 2019 version of 2017 Cody Ford. I'm assuming he just kind of plays uh, whichever guard spot he can. And then the uh, the last guy is probably Bray Walker. It sounds like he is he's the other one in the mix at, at guard as well. So I think that's the top eight going into the season in all likelihood. Uh, I'd throw Daryl Simpson in there too. He's been working at both guard positions as well. I think he's also a guy that that'll have a shot. Beatenbo said he feels pretty good with six or seven of the players right now, six or seven of the guys, uh, but he wants to get it to eight to nine players that he's that he's comfortable with. And so the six to seven, I think, is those five main guys and then Proctor and then probably either Simpson or Bray Walker kind of in there. I mean, Proctor is definitely in that group that he's comfortable fin- with, I'm sure. Finley yes. Felix. Yeah. I, I think the yeah, the six or seven guys he's referring to are the five yeah, starters Finley we Felix know and, and Finley two, Felix yeah. and RJ Proctor. Yeah. He says that there's not a ton of depth up there, which there's not. You know, his, standard, his standards are pretty high, though. It seems like there's a pretty decent amount of depth. I mean, there's bodies. He says we have bodies, but they're just young. Yeah, so, and that's not. You don't want to throw out a true freshman offensive lineman like ever. So, <laughs> I mean, that's that that is not a that is not a very good sign of the health of your program if you're throwing out true freshman offensive linemen. And I mean, unless they're just insanely good but that's that's not a thing though like a Vince so. Carter at center yeah or a Creed or a Creed Humphrey who I guess Creed Humphrey was a redshirt fr- redshirt yeah so that's the offensive line it's it's starting to sound a little more positive and again it's we've said it before we'll say it again if it wasn't you know for Bill Biedenboe and all the talent they brought in uh, we would be just freaking out about losing four players to the NFL Biedenboe's got He's got a heck of a portfolio of success. So it's just, I mean, it, it, it's something we would be freaking out about it if Biedenboe hadn't proved in the past that this is, that this is maybe no big deal. So, mm-hmm. and, and, just, and like you said, yeah, the, the, the level of athlete and talent that they've recruited up to this point um, is, is impressive. And I think, you know, I think by the end of the season, you know, I, I think you're you're gonna have you're gonna have guys who are all conference caliber. Creed Humphrey is gonna be all American caliber, and then guys like Ely and then Marquise Hayes, I think, are, are gonna be road graders this year. They're, they're gonna be the next kind of great OU offensive lineman, I think. 
Let's see, not a whole lot of news on the running back front. As we know, Kennedy Brooks, Trey Sermon, still the main two. You would expect TJ Pledger is kind of the 30 talk today. Didn't get a whole lot out of him. Uh, Jay Bowler talked. I asked Jay Bowler about Ramondre Stevenson because I was curious to get his thoughts on him because of uh, what Trey Sermon said about Stevenson last week that he reminded him of Jamal Charles, the way he runs the ball. And, and so I I said that to Jay Bowler, and I said, what have you seen from Stevenson? And, and Bowler looked said, said well, not Jamal Charles. <laughs> so And he was talking as – Talent-wise, I would assume, expect. So, yes, uh, Ramondre Stevenson is not as good as Jamal Charles right now, but I think we expected that. And then he talked for about a minute saying some really nice things about Stevenson. said he goes about 230, and he's a load, and he's a lot faster than people think. And so I'm pretty excited to see this guy carry the football, whenever that may be. And I'm kind of jumping on your hype train a little bit. I, he could be a guy. He said that he's a he's very mature. He said sometimes when you get these junior college guys coming in, they're actually not that mature and they need a little bit of time to kind of adjust. But he says that that's not the case for Stevenson. So they've had some decent luck with uh, with JUCO running backs in the past. Marcellus Sutton. Sutton. Well, I'm, I'm mostly thinking of nice. Damian Williams. Oh, but in the early part of the decade. Well, that's yeah. There you go. And he was, say, and, and of course he got kicked off the team his senior year, um, but God, he was he was kind of criminally underused as well. He was an underused guy. And now he's going to be what the starter for the Chiefs? Yeah, showing up on a lot of uh, on a lot of fantasy football bus uh, stories that I've seen. Like, stay away from oh. this guy. And and I was like, really? He's kind of a guy I'm actually pretty interested in because I don't think he's going to have that high of a of a draft position. Hmm. Uh, wide receiver the best update we've gotten I think in the last few days in my opinion is from Dusty Dvorak and Dusty recently joined uh, our team where I work as a contributor at Griffin Communications in Oklahoma and so he's joining us on the Oklahoma Ford Sports Blitz all football season and even during the week is and stuff unfortunately I was not there on Sunday for his debut I was out in San Diego traveling back to Oklahoma but uh, anyways Dusty on the blitz on Sunday had a ton of great things to say about Jaden Hazelwood and he says that Hazelwood was a little behind in the spring but now in fall camp he's been obviously very good so he's one of those talented five-star players we're all excited about didn't hear a whole lot about him in the spring but it sounds like he's going up, making contested catches, and looking really good in the fall. And that's that's what Dusty was saying. And he's a guy that's able to get some pretty good access and get some good information. So I think as far as that position group goes, that's the most interesting thing I've heard in the last few days. We talked uh, uh, some of the the guys last week, like CD, and I mean he's he's gotten so good with the media. I mean CD has has improved so much with that. Says a lot of really interesting things. But other than that, other than Hazelwood, I, not a whole lot there. Have you read or seen anything that maybe I missed? No, I haven't heard a ton about the freshman receivers at all. And I think a lot of that, you know, a lot of that one has to do with just, of course, not a lot of news coming out of camp. And two, I think I think the receivers, the starting receivers, are are pretty much as set as any other position. I mean, it's it's Lamb, Calcaterra, and Rambo are are the are the top three receivers. So. Um, I think after that, the most interesting thing is just going to be about what the rotation is. Yeah, and they, 
I mean, remember in the spring game, they had like a Z receiver as well that they threw in there, so a fourth guy. Oh, that's uh, the H. That, you know, the H would be the fourth receiver. Z is, is, is part of your typical three receiver formation. Oh, why did I think Z was separate? Okay. H is the is like the slot receiver. So you got to factor in the the three different receivers plus that Y, which is Calcaterra and Lee Morris, things like that. So that's yeah. where, you know, you're going to get the, the wild cards. Yeah, gonna... a, a good way to think about it is, you know, X, X and Z are on the outside and Y is on the inside. So X, Y, Z. Um, mm. And then, yeah. And then I, I assume as of right now, I think a lot of the conventional wisdom has been in that slot receiver role that maybe Trajan Bridges would come up and take that. But I, I think right now, I think, I think it's pretty safe to assume that at the start of the season, that's going to be Nick Basquin. Yeah, he's been getting a lot of a lot of run with the media. He comes out all the time when the offense talks, and he's a guy that has obviously been snake bit with injuries. And when he has been healthy, he's been good. You've you've seen him play a lot more than I have when he's been healthy because you've watched this team a lot. Well, it's twenty. Than I have twenty sixteen was the first year he came on as a walk on and. He had a pretty he had a pretty decent connection with Baker, and yeah, he he had some really nice plays that season when he was fully healthy. Um, but yeah, I mean, of course, the last two seasons just been completely snake bit. So is it even worth talking quarterback because we didn't learn anything today about the quarterback? They haven't named anybody. We all know it's going to be Jalen Hurts. It's just a matter of when. I'm just no. I, I mean, it's boring to me. It's boring. It really, yeah, no, it really is. It bores it's me. really boring. And the only interesting thing to me is, again, when's it going to be announced? And I'm going to stick with my original prediction. I think it's going to be announced basically a week from today. You're listening on Wednesday. I think it's going to be Wednesday the 21st. I can't remember if I said Wednesday the 21st or Tuesday the 20th or if I did Wednesday the 21st and Thursday the 22nd. I can't remember which one, but... Basically, that little window. I think that's whenever they're going to name Jalen Hurts the starting quarterback. Just my opinion. That's just a yeah. Just guessing that. I'm I starting to think that's right. It'll it'll be a little outside of like the official start of game week, so that they can do their usual kind of routine prep for the week with their starting quarterback. It was about 10, 11 days, I believe, for Kyler, and it was ten or eleven when Baker was named the starter. So he beat out Trevor Knight and the gang. So you're not expecting a. Uh, a surprise quarterback being named a la Miami today with the they 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 picked the guy that no one no one even knew about did you, did you see that I mean this week whenever they didn't name Tate Martell the starter yeah well yeah that was today and Tuesday we're, we're, record, we're recording this on Tuesday that was today so it was the whole this is the whole Tate Martell thing right yeah exactly no that came out on Monday was that yesterday yeah oh my goodness is that is it all just it must all just be running together now but yeah, I found that kind of funny. Actually, is it funny or is it just kind of? It's kind of just like uh, I don't really I mean, want to pile on like probably like a nineteen-year-old kid. So yeah, I I don't know a whole lot about Tate Martell. I remember because I was covering Texas A&M whenever they were going after him, and I remember he came and, and visited, and so Kevin, someone really wanted him, and there's going to be another you know five-star quarterback after getting Kyler Murray and Kyle Allen. You know, and I, I'm not a guy that's going to watch a whole lot of high school tape, so I don't know. I mean, five-star player, great, but, I mean, he certainly wasn't. I mean, granted, he did play behind Dwayne Haskins last year. was a you know, topic in the NFL draft, but you would expect him to be able to beat out a guy at Miami, right? And Yeah, I mean, beat so, out a, a redshirt freshman, Jaron Williams, who actually won the job, 
And then Nikosi Perry, who started a majority of their games last year, who was bad. He was really bad. Um, yeah, I think everyone sort of just assumed that he would walk in and win that job, and he didn't. And I guess, uh, yeah, the word was he was not particularly happy about that. Yeah, the last I saw, and this seems so gossipy, is that it was Monday night where – you know, Monday afternoon, then the news came out. And Monday night, I guess he missed practice or something like that. I didn't hear you see any follow ups on that, so it could have been a bad report. But. I, I I suppose now that you mean, I did see follow ups today that said he was at practice today, and okay. he and he addressed the team. So, oh, okay. Well, we'll I mean, I mean, I don't really care. It's Miami, and their 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 offense is likely to be bad this season, no matter what. So it doesn't matter. But yeah. And no one's, I mean, no one's challenging Clemson in, in, in that conference. But, hey, what should we do for, uh, we're getting pretty close now, Lee. Are we, uh, when are we going to do our, our big uh, our big preview spectacular where we preview the Big 12 and, and all of college football? All right, that's going to have to come, let's see. Oh, it'll, be, it'll be game week. It'll be like so it'll the be game week. Maybe the Monday let's... of game week or something. Yeah. That's got to be it, because, yeah, game week, we'll go back to two shows per week. We always record on Monday, and then we record again on, I think, we record Wednesday or Thursday. Well, we, we release them on Monday and Thursday, so we record Sunday morning and oh, that's right. and Wednesday evening, usually. That way, there's a couple days you can you can listen to the, the game preview, so yeah. So this will probably be, yeah, we'll have to probably record, find a time to record the big season preview on Sunday the 25th. And we're going to have a couple of college football games already in the book, right? Oh, we'll, we'll actually have a real live, big-time, Power 5 college football game to discuss on that one, actually. Yeah. Because they play uh, Miami and Florida. They play on, on Saturday the 24th. Getting close. Yeah, that's a new one. That's definitely new for this podcast. So yeah, that's uh, if you're new to the show, we do a huge big seasons preview where we focus on all these specific things surrounding Oklahoma, and you know maybe we'll tweak it a bit this year. We'll maybe find different angles that are a little more interesting. Who knows? We got a little bit of time, and then we come back, and then you know, in that same preview, we'll do a little bit of national stuff as well, and then then that uh, that Thursday we'll have our our Houston preview, our full Houston. What do we see from a man? I'm more finally. I, I'm more interested in in other programs this year, Lee, than I have been, maybe really ever. And I th- I think a lot of it has to do with and and maybe we'll get into this in a couple weeks when we get there. But the Big Ten this year is super interesting, and and I don't I don't know if I've ever thought that or ever said that verbally or publicly, but the Big Ten this year is is just a college football dream. There is hmm. there is. Um, no clear favorite in either division. Uh, like in the West, uh, probably six of the seven teams in the division can realistically win it. And in the East, probably four of the top teams can realistically win it. And uh, I think that's really interesting. And the Pac-12 is kind of similar. And then, of course, you have the ACC and the SEC, which are, which is probably just going to be chalk all the way through. And then I think the Big 12 is also very interesting this season as well. Uh Maybe maybe this upcoming year, in terms of the national title race, will not be as interesting as it as it can be. But I think the individual conference races this year are are pretty interesting. So I'm excited to talk about those. And I've heard a lot of Michigan. This is kind of the year they have to do something because obviously now Urban Meyer's gone, and they have 
they're bringing back Shea Patterson. And now, like you told me a month ago or whatever, that Harbaugh actually gave the offense over to somebody else. Josh Gaddis. Yeah. Yeah. So, and also you look at Michigan's schedule, which I don't have in front of me right now, but off I remember seeing it a snapshot of it and thinking like, man, that schedule is very manageable and like not that bad at all. So the more I learn more about Michigan, I think, yeah, this kind of is the year. Like if Jim Harbaugh can't figure it out this year, it's, it's kind of like, yeah, he's a good coach, but it's kind of like almost there's a ceiling to what he can do. Uh, so that's, I'm intrigued by that a little bit. And, and I'm also kind of intrigued by Penn state because you and I, we're not big James Franklin fans and now Trace McSorley is gone. And I wasn't the big, biggest Trace McSorley guy. I'm curious to see who their next quarterback is going to be. Is he going to be better than Trace McSorley? Is he going to be worse? I don't know. Michigan could have, uh, they could have gotten better luck with their crossover games into the West. They have the, they have the, the, they have Wisconsin and Iowa over from the West and also Illinois. So here is their schedule. They open against, at home against Middle Tennessee State. And then they're at homely against Army, which could be interesting. Oh, yeah. And then week uh, in week four, this is their third game. They have a bye the same week as OU. Um, they're at Wisconsin, so that'll be an interesting game in September for Michigan. But yeah, as far as uh, Michigan schedules go, it probably could be a whole lot worse. All right. Uh, lastly, any any thoughts on NFL? preseason week one or hard knocks because we saw kyler go out there we saw kyler look like kyler he was solid actually yeah let's throw the ball down the field he didn't throw it down the field but i think that was by design yes Um, definitely my main takeaway was just how just how calm cool and comfortable he looked which is just not which i don't think is, is is necessarily normal for a rookie quarterback yeah he looked like kyler and the drive stalled, and he took a sack on third down. And they had to punt, and they only played one possession. But he made a play that picked up a first down, but his receiver stepped out of bounds, and so it got called back after he you know, escaped the pocket, scrambled, and, and threw a pee. Yeah, and he got an incomplete down. pass for that too. Oh, man. Lame. So, yeah, Kyla looked good. I, you know who else looked really good, shockingly, and I – at least for now, Daniel Jones looked really good. Did you see any of his first drive I saw or his it. only drive? Yeah, and this is, I mean, this is I mean, exactly why. His touchdown why. pass is a great throw. Yeah, which is exactly <laughs> why I don't necessarily want to get, I don't want to get too in the weeds with preseason football. Um, because preseason, see, here, uh, it's, I mean, it, it was a nice throw, but it was, he was going to go there no matter what the entire time, even if there was a safety over the top of him. He stared him down the entire time. Um, it's a good throw. Well, yeah, it was a great but, throw though. He made the play. I mean, sometimes you read it, and the the offense dictates where you go with it pre snap, and and some I, you know what? I thought that was a great throw. Yeah, which uh, is why I, I don't want to get too crazy about Kyler because you can open yourself up for other things. And uh, yeah, Daniel Jones looks good. That preseason football and does not mean anything. I've seen, man, you know, dude. I'm telling you, like, I think that's a, a hacky take nowadays. Like, I think Dak Prescott changed the game. Like, Dak Prescott was awesome his rookie year preseason, and it translated into the regular season as well, and he was awesome in the regular season too. Yeah, and then like, s- I, and since then, he's been he's been an average to below average quarterback in the NFL. He has his moments, but yeah, I'm not the biggest Dak guy, but I just remember thinking, oh my gosh, like, he's blowing 
he's blowing it up in the preseason. I mean, he was had like a like a perfect quarterback rating like every game. It was insane. It was like whatever. This is preseason, and then he was really good in the regular season too. And yeah, I thought Baker played pretty well in the preseason last year, and and he had a really good season as well. I I think there is some. I think you can take things away from preseason football. And like I think it's kind of lame to be like, nah, whatever. Maybe the first drive of week one, okay, fine, but give me another game and two more games. I I think it's fair. I really do. So Yeah, we'll see what happens. I, I guess so my my opinions from preseason football come as a Colts fan who I mean, I saw I mean there was there was a time when Peyton Manning was there when the Colts won twelve games in a season, like something like seven consecutive years. And I think they may have won like three preseason games total in those seven okay. years. It just it I'm doesn't matter. Individual just, perf- I'm talking individual performances. Yeah, because like- you just you, you never know how the other team is treating it. What what if the Giants were treating that entire series as their Super Bowl? And they're saying, Hey, we gotta get Daniel Jones off to a good start. And what if the team they were playing had was was playing their second and third stringers didn't care because that happens in the preseason. Yeah, but yeah, I'll I'll definitely be watching Daniel Jones again next time. And I I was pleasantly surprised. I he made and he threw the ball down the field. He made some nice throws and he looked good. So I and of course I mean if if Daniel Jones comes out and is great, I'll I'll eat crow all day long. And if if you guys want to go back and listen to the archives, I. I defiantly said, not defiantly, but I, I said it very forcefully that Daniel, the Daniel Jones pick is arguably the worst pick in the history of the NFL draft. So, and I still stand by that and I'm not going to let one drive in the preseason, you know, make me think differently, but we'll know. We'll no. watch. And you also look really good. Baker. Yeah, he looks great. Looks great. And he didn't even have uh, Landry or OBJ. And just, I mean... He's going to face a lot better pass defenses this year, so he he'll have a little bit more of uh, a challenge than he did the second half of last season. But man, that just adding fuel to the fire that this this hype train and this team will be. If anything, it'll be the most interesting team in football maybe this year. Uh, and, oh, one last thing. Now that you know, again, if you're listening this long, you just like to hear what we have to say about stuff. I think. I, I cannot stand, I can't change the channel or fast forward quick enough whenever anything with the Cowboys comes up right now. Like, I have no interest in Ezekiel Elliott's holdout. I don't care. I don't care about, I, I kind of care about the Dak Prescott stuff, according that he, uh, according to the reports that he turned down 30 mil and wants 40 mil, which is like, all right, man, hey, try to get Cowboys your Cowboys need get to it, walk it. away. Got to walk away from that. Like, you know, I mean, he's going he to his football away. and he thinks, hey, this is my time to get my money. Like, I don't blame him, but that's crazy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Dak's, Dak's got to do what he thinks he's got to do. I, yeah. Get, get as much money as you possibly can, man. Uh, Cowboys, walk away. Walk away yeah. fast. Run away, actually. I mean, $30 million is a heck of a deal for Yeah, Dak. that's too much. Dak is, Dak is a below average NFL quarterback. It's not. This is not he's a good average. I think he's an average. This is not a good investment a for average. anyone who just th- th- Dak's not going to win you a Super Bowl throwing the football, and that's the only way to win a Super Bowl in 2019 and in the future. Dak ain't winning nothing doing that. They need to walk away. Yeah, I think more than ever, it's it's kind of easy to determine which quarterbacks out there in the NFL, like which guys can can you actually think? Hmm, this guy can win me a Super Bowl, and I just I don't get that with Dak Prescott at all. 
And I don't understand the thought process. Like again, I'm not a Dallas Cowboy expert, but is the team around him like that much like that good? Like a Super Bowl type team? Like like yo, there's a quarterback. I don't think it is. I, I maybe I'm crazy, but I, I don't. The offensive don't line see is it. still considered to be elite. And obviously okay. they have Zeke. Oh, I mean, not right now. But their but. defense is just kind of like always fine. I mean, it's never like an elite defense. Yeah, so, but yeah, it's it's not necessarily like his Dax rookie season when it looked like, man, the Cowboys pretty much had every piece in place and didn't yeah. really work out. But yeah, yeah, I, I guess yeah. I and, and I'm sure obviously it's more popular in that part of the country, but. Yeah, I, I find the, the Cowboys generally pretty boring. I, I don't understand. that. I, I look at them as a middling contender right now in the NFL. But they're also, I mean, they are the most popular, you know, football franchise in the world. So it makes sense that they, they drive a lot mm-hmm. of discussion. All right, I think that's all I have on the NFL preseason for now. We've gone a little longer with that. Um, uh, let's see. Anything else in your mind, Grant, or should we wrap this bad boy up? I was just going to say that hard knocks, hard knocks last week was it was great because it was hard knocks, but um, I, I've, this is something that I feared, that the Raiders would actually be nowhere near as entertaining as people think they were going to be. And uh, if the first episode was any indication, that, that looks to be the case. But I agree. I agree. I, I didn't find it particularly compelling television at all but but you're right though i mean just the the camera angles and the music and just the kind of the vibe of it it's hard knocks i mean it just makes you feel like yes here we go the season is almost here and what i yeah and kind of what i feared about this season is that john gruden would just be the front and center star and after the first episode it seems like that's certainly the case um and i you know i think john gruden is a good color commentator on monday night football other than that he's not for me and that's that's all I have I'm not to a say. big John Gruden guy either, but I was hoping it would be a lot about him because I think he is entertaining. And if they're going to feature him a lot, that probably means that there's not a whole lot of interesting guys on the team that they're following. Yeah, Derek, like, Derek oh, man, Carr gotta... is not an interesting guy at all. See, speaking of quarterbacks that you just kind of know that this guy can't win you a Super Bowl. I mean, he's obviously one of them. I mean, he just isn't a guy. I mean, uh, I, I don't I don't know if I'd go that far. I mean, he was a guy before he broke his leg two years ago was the obvious MVP of the league. Man, I something happened. I, I don't know. I mean, I, their defense was so bad back then too. So yeah, I'm not who sure knows what happened. I'm overcame, sure it was overcome pr- it, but probably just, just a magical. He just checks everything down, and I don't know. So yeah, he just he's not a very particularly scary quarterback. Uh, and I mean, what are we going to find out about Antonio Brown this week? Probably nothing. Maybe maybe we'll get. I don't know. Maybe, maybe. we'll find out more about how he how he. How he somehow froze his feet? Or? I guess those listening to this podcast, though, has already seen Hard Knocks. So this is relevant talk uh, at this point. All right, we'll be back next week with the latest in fall camp. Maybe there'll be more news. Maybe by this time next week, there'll be a quarterback. I kind of doubt it based on what Lincoln Riley said today. Anything that happens, we will have it for you right here on West of Everest. For Grant, I am Lee. This is West of Everest. <laughs>